I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on, and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. Do not leave here you don't know what God can do with your broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces. And I want you to know when you fall down, God's grace is sufficient. God's hand will come down and pick you up. And give you the strength to get back up. In the first seven years of ministry, God opened up doors for me to speak 2,000 times across 44 countries on six continents from university campuses, 40,000 students in China, to India, where we're talking to sex slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia, to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica, where you see the leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus, to Korea and speaking to the next generation about depression and suicide, and to Eastern Europe, where we did Serbia, Slovenia, and Croatia. And then doors in the Middle East, the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world. That is God. And we know We've just begun. By the grace of God, we have seen face-to-face -face a half a million souls say yes to Jesus and be plugged into a local church. As crazy as it sounds, our goal at Life Without Limbs Ministry is to preach to every single soul 
on the planet. Seven billion people. We believe that this goal is possible as the Holy Spirit is gathering an army and building up supporters to send us and accomplish this mission. But this all takes support. And yes, I ask for your prayers. Pray for us. Pray for our board. Pray for our staff and our team. But we could not do this much where we've come this far without the people who financially support us in actively sending us to complete the mission before us. We are praying by faith that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about supporting us and becoming a partner in helping us to accomplish this awesome mission ahead. God is good and all the time. All right. My story is a story of redemption. Help us share it with the world so that others would be free indeed. Imagine what it would be like to be born with no arms and no legs. If you go to his website, you can get his extended testimony. And I would guarantee you guys, the most hard-hearted of you will be profoundly moved when he tells about, as just as a child, that he was having thoughts of suicide, seeing all these other kids with arms, with legs. Then he looks in the mirror at himself and how he was just... In absolute hopelessness. But then as we heard, he had the gospel presented to him. And God is using a man with no arms and with no legs, having experienced incredible suffering, to break through walls. To break down walls of resistance. That if you or I walked in, healthy and tall, would never be able to be broken down. And the profound question by so many people is, you say, Jeff, we've been in this series, the problem series, the problem of evil, and we've been looking through different Bible texts. Jeff, why ultimately would God allow these things to happen? Simple biblical answer is it's for the glory of God. That God would be made strong in our weakness. He would have these things happen in such a way that the world would see that God is greater than disease and God is greater than depression. And as we saw last week through the study of Jesus, that God is greater than the power of death. So if you got anything from that video, number one, you should be thankful for being able to walk in here. Amen? And I think some of us can look at our lives and say, Lord, I'm not like so-and-so. So I can have a very limited influence for you. You have arms. We have legs. Let's use that for the glory of God. So let's go finally in the seventh part of this message to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible or if you're new to church, we have Bibles there on the ends of the pews. You can grab one of those. If you don't have one, you can take that. You're not uh, jacking. You're not stealing a Bible from church. All right. That's our gift to you. And that's for you to be able to follow along with us. So let's begin in 2 Corinthians there in chapter 1 in verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, what's it say, church? Any affliction. 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us... Note this in your Bibles. Rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must, you also must help us in prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What we just saw in God's Word is a is a passage of Scripture that told us one of several things. And this is in your notes if you want to follow along with us. It's in your outline, your bulletin. This is the main idea, I believe, that we're going to try to get at this morning. Is that isolation, in the midst of your suffering, isolation will bring more suffering to you as opposed to when you serve other people, plus God's grace, that's going to bring you freedom. And if you're like me, the times that you have been through pain and suffering in your life, it's not exactly the time you want to throw a house party, right? You say, I want to be alone. I want to be like the dog that gets bit by a snake. They go hole up somewhere until they recover. Well, we're not dogs and we recover differently than animals. In fact, one of the things that's going to damage your life when you go through those times of suffering is if you isolate yourself from other people. Now, we saw the story of Nick. Were you encouraged by that, church? Moved? The story of another guy, and he had arms and legs. It wasn't his own suffering that he encountered, but that, it was that of his dad. We could have been back in Germany in the 1800s, mid-1800s, around 1844. There would have been a family called the Nietzsche's. Some of you know where this is going. They were a Lutheran family. They believed the gospel. The father and the grandfather had, had preached the gospel there in Germany and they were followers of the Lord. But then this, they had a son and his name was Frederick. And Frederick's dad, the preacher, got a rare brain disease and began to slowly suffer and die. And this young boy, having been taught that God is good and God is in control in the Lutheran tradition, he began to let thoughts of bitterness come into his heart. And when he got to be a man, he began to write things, books. One was called the Antichrist. And if you've ever heard that phrase, some of you that were back in the 60s with your big hair and your bell bottoms, right? Those pictures that your kids hope remain hidden in the closet forever until Jesus comes back. Back in the 60s, you remember a phrase was pretty popular, especially among people who thought they were smart and educated. And it was this, God is Dead. God is dead. And that comes from Nietzsche. He says, God is dead. We have killed Him under the knives of philosophers. Here was a young man that had been taught the truth of the Bible, 
Almost in the same way as Nick. Nick had heard the Gospel. But yet, young Frederick Nietzsche rejected the Gospel and turned his life into a, an absolute crusade to eradicate Christianity. He wrote things such as, Jesus Christ is the curse of the human race because Jesus pitied the weak. In the year 1900, dying of syphilis, absolutely insane and out of his mind, his sister was actually selling tickets as people could come see the great atheist Nietzsche die on his deathbed. What a sad, wasted, 56-year-old life of a young man that had encountered suffering not much different than some of us. Seeing a loved one or a friend die quickly or slowly. Going through things like cancer. But yet, Nick received the grace of God. And you could see from that video, his face, I don't know if you caught this, but to me, to me, the gist I got is his face was full of love and grace. Do you know how you can look at some people and you don't know whether they're getting ready to hit you or cut your throat? And some people, you look at them, you're like, I don't know you, but I love you. Can I give you a hug just from a bro to a bro? You just look like a person who loves people, you see. But there's a difference. God gives grace to every person. And my challenge to you today is this, that the suffering that you and your family and your friends have encountered, God will give you, according to the Bible that we just read, far more grace than suffering. And every bit of suffering that is pulled out of the marrow of your bones through the difficulty of life, God's grace can double match it. But there is a danger of grace rejected. There is a danger of you and I isolating ourselves from people and beginning to think, oh, woe is me. And grieving is good. I want us to know that. Amen, church? Grieving is good and healthy. In fact, there are times that the best thing that you can do is pour out your heart like the warrior poet David did in the book of Psalms. There's going to be nobody, guys, that would say that David is just a small, weak guy. I mean, David, what was he known for? Sure, he's a good heart player, but he was known for his ability to slaughter large groups of other men. I mean, imagine David's applying for your job. You say, what's on your resume? He says, I'm an outstanding musician. I'm outstanding at killing people with hand instruments. You're like, well, I think we may be able to use you in packaging. I mean, I don't know. That's not something that we normally look for in today's world. But even David, in all of his manliness and his courage and ruggedness, we find entire psalms of him saying things like, my bed has been soaked or my couch has been soaked with my tears. So we have to understand that as Americans, that it's not good and it's not healthy to have this stoic, ancient Greek, Roman, pagan attitude to say, well, I'm okay, everything's good. No, it's not all good. You need to have time with Jesus and to cry your heart out to Him. That's what it calls, folks, especially you guys, that's what it's called to be human. And it's altogether therapeutic. But there comes a point to where the grace of God enters your heart and raises you up off of your bed of mourning, off of your couch of brokenness, and whispers into your ear, I have a plan for you. I can use your suffering. There are people around you that are hurting as well. Get up, get up, and I'll help you win the world for me. So in order to break this down properly, we're going to get into the text. I want you to follow this with me in your, with your outline. And 
we're going to look at some insights here into suffering and then how we serve people. Number one, it comes there from verse 3. And that is, comfort ultimately comes from God. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The word comfort there is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes and comforts us. So, comfort ultimately does not come from isolating yourself It doesn't ultimately come from talking to people. It comes from God. Secondly, comfort from God is a gift for you to share with others. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, Who comforts us, speaking of God, in how many of our afflictions, church? In all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with what? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So this is really cool. Uh, the word that you may, the phrase here that you may be able, that comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means the ability to do something. It's kind of like those of you parents and grandparents, you're raising these little, these little rug rats and now Micah, mom and dad's grandson and my little nephew, he's now able to stand. It's so cool because he kind of does like little mini push-ups. He stands and he leans and he kind of does that. So he's getting really jacked, you know, uh, upper body. I'm really proud of him. I think Josh is slipping him some creatine and protein and the food or whatever. Not really, parents. Some of you ladies are like, that's terrible. Yeah, I'm just kidding. All right. And, and you got these little kids, right? They're growing. Uh, in order to teach them to do something physically, what do you have to often do? You have to take their little hands and show them how to Open the door. Take their little hands to show them how you pick up a fork and you try to get the food to your mouth and not on the wall. I mean, those types of things that you have to guide them in that way. It's a similar picture here. What the Bible is saying, when you go through suffering, God is there. Now, sometimes if we listen to our feelings, our feelings tell us God is not what? Anywhere. I mean, He's not here. He's not there. He's not at church. I can't can't hear anything from the Lord. It seems like I have been getting the silent treatment from God. The Bible says to trust in our faith in Christ and not just in our feeling. So here's the question. What does, in verse number 4, the word affliction, what does that cover? I mean, what does that mean? Well, I looked it up and it basically basically covers everything that you could experience in your life. Now, I've talked to a lot of people. I'm only 32. For some of you students, that's old, right? I didn't grow up with that. I, I was 16 before I had my first email address. And some of you are like, you are so, you, you, are, you are a spring chicken above all spring chickens. I didn't have an email address. We go down that road, okay? But w- when you think of, of, of isolation and suffering, I've talked to people just being 32. And you know what most people feel when they encounter pain in their life? They think, I'm the only one. No one's ever gone through anything like this. No one understands my pain. Well, number one, God does because Jesus suffered more than we could ever suffer. Did Jesus suffer physically? Yes. But the worst part of that was the emotional pain. I don't even know if we could put it into words. The mental brutalization of having to have God's wrath crushed down upon you. We watch movies like The Passion of the Christ. It focuses on the physical. And yes, Jesus was tortured. But it wasn't anything compared to what He endured on the inside. Number three, insight into suffering and service. And this is where we begin to kind of let the wheels hit the road. It's that isolation is not God's plan for you. Now notice the whole context here. The Apostle Paul, who got saved 
Uh, he thought he was doing God a service and he was killing Christians. He later got saved. He turns the world upside down through God's witness in his life. But do you notice that he's talking with people that he knew? Now let me have a little quick time out to get into trouble. Alright? If you come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, good. We're glad to have each and every one of you here. And by the way, Fred, I don't know a lot of people here don't get the memos, but y'all do know that, that Memorial Day weekend and Labor Day weekend are the two worst days out of the year as far as church attendance. Praise God y'all didn't get that memo, right? Y'all came. And let me go a step further. Y'all are crazy. Y'all remember last Sunday afternoon? Some of y'all were having a crisis of faith. You were looking in the book of Genesis like, now I know that God promised that He wouldn't send another worldwide flood, but let me double check. Rain's coming down out there with Ashley, Fred, and Sharon. 4.30, the picnic's supposed to start at 5, and sheets of, I mean, just sheets of rain, like frogs are drowning, like like just popping up everywhere. And Fred said, what are we going to do with all this chicken? I said, I have no idea, but we'll see what happens. And then people started pulling up. I mean, it was... Who does that? Y'all do that. Y'all are crazy. We had like 115 people or something come to an afternoon picnic in a, in a, in a shelter when it's pouring down rain, cats and dogs. Y'all are crazy. That's good. But here's the thing. If you come, we pray God ministers to you, but if you're not connected to a Sunday school class, to a small group study, it's going to be very, 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 very difficult for you to get the spiritual uh, prop up that you need when the storm comes in your life. Because if you simply come to the service, you may say, well, that's the guy that has the ugly tie. That's the lady that's always really friendly. That's the person who has awkward social skills. You don't know their name. You just point at people that you know in your head. Y'all all right? You're never going to be like, hey, how are you, Mr. Awkward Person? Finally got around to saying, hey, you know, you're not going to do that. But you, and you just see people, it's just like this glancing blow of relationships. What you need to do is seriously, from your pastor, because I love you, you've got some awesome Bible teachers here. Get plugged into a Bible study. If you don't know what that means, you're not going to show up and people are going to ask you all sorts of awkward questions. And you're not going to be asked, can you quote every genealogy in the book of Numbers by name? But what it is, it's a way for you to get plugged in. But I think this is something that I need to touch on and I'm going to get in trouble even more and then we're going to go and get into even more trouble. But I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. It is an American myth that you can follow Jesus in isolation. It is a myth that we as a culture have created that it's a private individual faith. I don't interact with anybody. I awkwardly show up once in a while to a service and I just do that. If I like it, I go back. If I don't, I go somewhere else. Listen, it is to be involved in gospel community. Because if people know you, they're going to be able to be there with you when you need them. But I know some people, not here, but people just visit churches around the area. Other places I've been at, like, nobody even came to visit me. I'm like, what well, do you, have you ever filled out a card? No. Have you ever gone to Sunday school class? No. I'm like, so, so what you're saying is that you're mad at your church for not contacting you when you never gave them contact information? Here's your sign. Here's your sign. And I tell, I stick up for the other preachers around this area. I have people come here. Are you involved? Have you shared Jesus with people? Well, I, uh, that's right. Go back, ask repentance, get right with God. All right. Y'all okay? 
Let me say this as well. When we see in verse 4, he's talking about us who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted. You see, it's all in the context of relationship. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys like watching the the Discovery Channel. Uh, Some of you sickos watch that when those wolves will separate. Some of y'all know where this is going. They find the one that is struggling, the one that is weak, and they separate that one from the rest of the herd, and it is divide and conquer. If you isolate yourself, if you do not get plugged into a small group, if you do not get involved in service in some way, what Satan will do when the storm hits is he will try to isolate you and then decimate you. Get involved with a Bible study. Everybody okay? All right, verse 5. God's comfort always trumps suffering. It says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, I want you thinkers, you you nerds, you intellectuals here to go with me on this. Um, If there is no sin, there's no need for a Savior, right? If there is no pain, then there's no need for a healer. And what we see throughout this series and in the Bible is that God brings things into our lives to drive us to Him. One commentary said this, that Paul says that pain should drive us to God. You see, there's a logical connection. If God comforts you, He comforts you from what? Pain and suffering, right? If there's no pain and there's suffering, there's no need for Him to come. You say, now, it almost sounds like God is a sadist. No, that's not it at all. God gave Adam and Eve the choice to follow Him in the beginning, but they did not. But yet God chose to send His Son into the world to mend what they had broken. You see, if you're never weak, there's no reason why you would need God's strength. So all of these things that we think are negatives, let me just say this, since we're still in a recession, no matter and we're still in difficult economic times, no matter what anybody may say to you, on the right or the left or the middle, whatever that may be. Some of you have had your savings, 401Ks, 401, whatever it may be, lowered. Some of you have had to work longer for less money and you've had to take... It's not been good. These things that we look at as always negatives... That's an opportunity for God to come alongside of us and be our comforter and to be our helper. How many people do you think would have looked at Nick in the womb and seen that he had no arms and no legs? You know what a lot of people would say? Terminate the pregnancy Let me be a little bit more open. That means kill your own child. But you see, I'm glad that that didn't happen because God had a greater plan for Nick's suffering, not having arms and having legs. And I just want to make a point here. Um, And by the way, this is not political. This is biblical. But if you ever, under any conditions, advocate abortion on demand and you also claim to be a, a follower of Jesus, the God who gives life, you need to choose If you went back in any period in Christian history and you advocated that viewpoint, they would look at you like you're from another planet because God's plan is life, church. 
And I cannot apologize for that, and I won't, and you shouldn't either. You should give mercy and grace and counseling to women who have been through that and men who have, have told their girlfriends and their wives that you should go ahead and, and pursue that and, and terminate the pregnancy, kill the baby. But listen, we've got to stand up for people who cannot stand up for themselves. That's God's plan. And so we can't have one or the other. We have to choose. And so finally, with these minutes that we have left, let's go through a few points on the power the incredible power of suffering. Number one, you say, Jeff, what could God have planned for in my suffering? It's that your suffering can bring hope to discouraged believers. Verse 6 speaks about being able to comfort other believers. Now you say, now Jeff, why do some Christ followers suffer and others do not? Well, we know this, that God is in control and God is sovereign. But we know also that if God brings you through any trial, any fire, He will be able to make a story from your suffering that will reach other people. You guys remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The story way back, and, and the crazy king throws them in the fiery furnace. And they said this in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 18. Our God is able to deliver us, but if... Not. Y'all catch that? God can do all things, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. That's an amazing, crazy thing to think that they were about to be executed for standing up for the Lord, but yet they said, you know what? He can deliver me, but if not. Are you willing to make that statement today? I think this is where a lot of us are in America, in American Christianity. They say, we say, God, you're in control. I'm going to pray. I've done my thing. I support you. Why don't you answer my prayer? Notice in the Bible, there's such, there's such freedom and release to say, God, please, I'm asking you for this healing. But if not, I'm not going to give up on you, Lord. You say, well, that, that almost sounds like you're having blind faith. No, it's not. We know that Jesus was a, was a historical figure. We know that He lived. We know that He died. And we know the, the most reasonable explanation is that He rose from the dead. So I can know that here and also in my heart. And you should take comfort in that. But if not, God will use my pain to encourage other people. I know some people, and they've been burned by church, and I'm not even going to ask for an amen. Thanks, Joseph. And they say, Jeff, I love Jesus, but I don't want to get involved in the drama and the politics of church. Let me give you a statement by Pastor Johnny Hunt. He says, having to deal with the garbage shouldn't keep us from doing what God has told us to do. If you serve Jesus, you are not going to be able to get out of the garbage line. There's going to be drama. There's going to be sticky messes with people. There's going to be sometimes personality clashes and leadership doesn't agree. And But guess what? That's the nature of life, right? So here's the thing. I can plug in and serve Jesus and I have to deal with some of the mess that He's going to give me the ability to deal with. Or I can go out and have the same amount of drama... Doing something that doesn't really matter. Because I don't care what you do, there will be drama. Point number two. Your suffering can bring lost people to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse number six. Evangelist Junior Hill says this. God may place you in the furnace in order to be a blessing to someone else. I've shared this story before. One of my friends, he was born in the USSR. 
back when Russia was at least in official policy communist. And he was thrown in jail for two and a half weeks for being a follower of Jesus, a pastor. And they tried to get him to join the Communist Party, but he wouldn't do it. He was thrown into jail. And I, I was able to talk to him in Germany a few years ago. And I said, what was your response when you were thrown into jail and separated from your family? He says, my response was that if I had not... This is, this is a very non-American response. So this, this may take some of us a moment to latch on to. But here's what he said. If I had not been thrown in jail... I would have never had the opportunity to share the gospel with those guards and inmates in jail. What would most of us do? You see, that's a biblical perspective. Knowing that God is the one who brings vindication. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Number three, how power, how suffering can impact our life is that suffering can bring us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice it says there in verse 7, it speaks of the hope. Now look this up in the Greek lexicon, and the word hope has to do with an anchor. It means that you are rooted to something solid. And it also has the word there to share in suffering. That word share is the word for fellowship. A koinonia. It has to do with something that you're sharing with someone. And let me just ask a question to those of you that love Jesus and you've been saved. Who are you, who are you sharing in sufferings with? Have you have you looked for someone that needs somebody? Or do we just want to surround ourselves with people like us that give us encouragement, right? I mean, do, do, do you have anybody in your life that's a messy person? And we're not saying that anybody's better than each other, but you know what I'm talking about. Somebody that just has problems. Do you know that one of the ways that you get out of your depression is you start pouring into someone else? Listen, I've not been alive that long, but after mom and dad can tell you, my parents are here. And by the way, some of y'all are like, he's wearing a suit. What happened? Well, what happened is mom said I should dress like a preacher. So some of y'all that like this, you can give my mom a high five. Mom, is this okay? All right. I just didn't want to get turned over the knee because I've been there many times before. It'd be nice if you wore a suit. Look like a preacher. Okay. And I was like, all right, I'm going to wear it. So here's the thing. Uh, when, when our brother Jordan and, and mom and dad's son died of cancer, and that, that was the most horrific, brutal nightmare that you could never imagine becoming real. Because he was this, this stud high school and college athlete, and he could dunk and just, I mean, shredded and, and, and finished first in conditioning in front of all the seniors when he was an 18-year-old freshman. And normally you don't do that on basketball teams. And he was... He even hurting some of these big guys because he was playing so rough in the pain. I mean, gee, he was just the man, very soft-spoken. Then he gets this rare uh, type of cancer, and to see him waste away and cried in pain, it was it, words cannot describe it. I do not like the word grief because it seems so shallow and empty. And there are others of you that have seen something like that happen to someone you love, and you know what I'm talking about. People say you're grieving. You're like, no, it's much deeper than that. But for me, after that happened, I had the opportunity to be a youth minister at Dad's church. And about 90% of the kids in that youth group came from broken, non-Christian, alcoholic, no-Jesus homes. And I just, through God's grace, said, God, I can't do this. You're going to have to do it through me. I tried to pour my life into these kids. It was so cool. 
Because I'd drive my Jeep and I'd go pick up kids in the ghetto. I'd pick up white kids and black kids and I'd bring some sponsors and they would help me go do that. We would bring these kids to church. I mean, some of these guys, you know, one guy was like, man, we don't need to be pulled over by any cops. Because I well, do you have it with you now? No, no. It was a rough group. I mean, we'd, we'd get in there, we'd have praise and worship, i share the gospel, and then afterwards they'd want to wrestle on the floor. And so we would do that and slap box. It was awesome. And I promise I'm not a violent youth minister. But that was just the makeup of that group. And having these kids get into the car that smelled not like probably most of you smell, and come out of those situations and then to pick them up and to see adults at church love on these kids and cook for them and pay for them to go to youth camp and put their arm around them and say, we love you and we're glad that you're here. Some of the boys didn't know how to respond. Well, you know, you know. They had no, they had no category for that because that didn't exist in their world. And looking back on it, I think one of the things that helped me get through that grief was just in the midst of pain, pouring yourself into somebody else. If you isolate yourself, you're going to increase your suffering. But if you do what Jesus said, to lose your life for my sake in the Gospel, the same shall find it. Who's in your life who's messy? Go find somebody and pour into them. This is where we'll close. And by the way, if I can say something for you ladies to get all your bags up, it sounds like we, you know, we've got a shopping thing going. If y'all can just wait after the... Because uh, every time I say that, y'all know what happens? Everybody gets ready to go, and it's like, well, we still got the invitation, the song, and all that. So y'all just hang on. Job 42. I know I got in trouble on that one. Mom, you may need to be a bodyguard for me after this. Job 42.10. Some of us are familiar with the story of Job. Richest man in the East had his children killed in a day. All of his livestock, all of his money, everything hit the bottom. His friends, who were not really friends, came to console him. And they basically said, Job, we know what's up. God's punishing you because you've done something wrong. God comes back at the end of Job chapter 42, tells Eliphaz. That's an interesting name, isn't it? Some of y'all, young couples, that's a name for your son, Eliphaz, right? What's your name? My name is Eliphaz, all right? So, so God was mad at Eliphaz. And God said, you need to go to Job and Job will pray for you. Think about this. Your health had been taken away. The only thing that was left was a wife that was broken as well, but she was telling Job to curse God and die. He was there sitting in sackcloth and ashes, getting a piece of broken pottery to scrape his sores. And then, this is in the Bible, if you get grossed out with it, it is gross. Dogs would come and lick his sores. This is Mr. Fortune 500 gone from the top to the bottom in one day. And your friends come and they say, we know what's happening. God is punishing you because you've done something wrong. They were wrong. God did it. Well, we don't ultimately know why, but it's for His glory. And are you okay with Job? Are you okay to have God not give you the one reason? So here's Job, still in his suffering. And God tells Job, the end of chapter 42, pray for your friends. Pray for these jerks? God, are you serious? These are the people that kicked me when I was down. God says, pray for them. I'm going to read you chapter 42, verse 10. I would note this in your Bibles. The Bible says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, God gave him back 
ten children. You know why? The first ten that died, they were not lost. Most Bible scholars believe that that was a sign that they had gone to heaven to be with the Lord. But here's something that I want to encourage you to do. That it may be a person or a situation that has brought that suffering into your life that you're dealing with. And based on what the Bible says, God brought Job back up, not at some random time, but when Job prayed for his enemies. Now you tell me, who does that sound like? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God's grace will overwhelm you when instead of lashing out in hatred and vengeance in your pain, you absorb the grace of God and give forgiveness and grace as well.